Men, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Gaines and or Steve and Bellevue. It's such a blessing to be here. And also, I just want to thank you for giving to Sin Relief and the, the, the work in Ukraine. 100% of what you give goes there. And I want to make sure that you understand that as well. So thank you for your generosity. And thank you for how you love Memphis. You've done that for uh, so long. You model and you multiply yourself by showing other churches how to love their city. And you do that in such an incredible way. Last week, we had a, a Send Relief Serve Tour come to Memphis, and you played a big role in that. So I just want to say thank you for all that you have done. It's a blessing to be here. I do need to get something off my chest right here at the very beginning. If you don't, it's just it's a little self-therapy, if you don't mind. Uh, Brother Steve and I go back a long way, almost 40 years, longer than he could even remember. I fell in love with a girl from Dyersburg, Tennessee. He's from Dyersburg, Tennessee, and his uh, sweet mom, Miss Dorothy, used to get her hair cut every week or styled uh, at my now mother-in-law's beauty shop. So I fell in love with a girl whose mom was cutting his mother's hair. All my mother-in-law has talked about since 1983 is Steve Gaines. Did you, know, did you know Steve went to Lake Dallas? Did you know Steve went to West Jackson? Did you know Steve went, did you know Steve? She'd send me Steve Gaines tapes. <laughs> so I've heard Steve Gaines and Steve Gaines. And I, I just wanted you to know something right at the very beginning here today, all right? Today, I've heard Steve preach. This is not going to be as good, all right? It's just not. <laughs> but I've heard him preach, and it's not going to be as long. All right. <laughs> feel like I get to get away with that at least in one service. All right. If you like, if you turn with me to Acts 13, as you turn there, I would like to introduce my family uh, real quick. I didn't bring them with me because there's too many of them, but there's a whole posse. That's my wife, Lynette, and we do have six kids. But the unique thing, uh, we have our two oldest daughters are on the, on the outside, and our oldest son is in the back. They're all married. And uh, then God blesses the second phase of children. The very first child we adopted is Libby, right there to the left of my wife, Lynette. Um, we adopted her when she was one. They found Libby in a shoebox outside of a police station when she was one. And she's now 19. She's a sophomore in college. She's going to be a pharmacist. And, uh, and then God uh, blessed us with Michael Lynn. She's on the far right. She's from Ethiopia. We got her when she was three. And she's now 18. And she's uh, pretty bossy and prissy. Has a, her, her, her spiritual gift is bossiness. And uh, when, we, when we moved to Alpharetta, she went into a house, a neighbor's house, and put her hand on her hip and says, yeah, you people have issues. And uh, they're like, do what? And she said, your house is a mess. You have issues. We had to sit her down and say, look, sweetheart, we're trying to make friends, and you're not helping, okay? So then J.M. on the far left, we got J.M. when he was 12, and he's 22 today from the Philippines. So we're talking China, Ethiopia, and the Philippines, and, and uh, we have six kids from four different countries. And when I'm in the South, people will say, well, bless your heart. I know what that means. It means better you than me. That's what that means. But I say, there's no need to bless my heart. I'm just very competitive. And uh, what I mean is, think about it. Six kids from four different countries. When we watch the Olympics, we win. All right? We do. I never forget the story when we went to get JM in the Philippines. They said, now be very careful with him. 
when you go back to the room because he's not used to some of the luxuries you have in the States. I went, luxuries, what do you mean? They said, well, you're not used to hot water. We didn't have hot water. They found uh, J.M. wandering the streets when he was five. He went to the orphanage until he was uh, 12, and we, we were able to get him. And so they didn't have hot water. Basically, took sink baths. So we went to, you can imagine, we went to the hotel for the very first time, and, and we're letting him bounce on the bed and do all those different things you do in a hotel the first time you're there. And uh, it came time for bath time, and I said, J.M., here, buddy, I want to show you something. So we went in the bathroom, and I turned the water on lukewarm, and then I took his hand, I said, let me have your hand. I took his hand, I put it underneath the water, and then I just, that lukewarm water, and then I just gradually, gradually turned the water warmer and warmer and warmer until he began to feel hot water for the very first time. And he said, that is wonderful. I said, it is wonderful, you're gonna love it. And I said, look, I'm gonna go in there, you take your clothes off and hop in the shower. He said, shower, what's a shower? Well, I wasn't thinking at 12. They taught him some English, but not some things didn't translate because they didn't have a shower. And so I had uh, explained to him what a shower was. That's not the easiest thing to do, all right? When you're not used to describing a shower, I mean, everybody knows. I say, it's like water from heaven. You know, you're going to love it. It's just like the first time we went out to eat. He didn't know what to eat. I mean, we're, we're so spoiled. I mean, he'd never been out to eat. He's just used to eating whatever they put in front of him. And he had a menu, and there's too many options. He's just overwhelmed. I said, don't, don't worry about it, buddy. It's okay. I'll, I'll do it. I said, just bring him chicken fingers. <laughs> He's like, no! I'm not eating chicken fingers. No, 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 no. They're not chicken fingers. That's just what they call them. He said, well, why do they call them that? I said, you know, I don't know. Just dip them in barbecue sauce. You're going to like them, I promise. You can only imagine the first time we had buffalo wings, all right? <laughs> a word. International conflict at our house every night. But it's 40, 40 minutes later, he comes out of the shower, smelling good and all shriveled up, but appreciating hot water. You know what made me think that night when I set, uh, we went to bed, I thought, you know, how many 12-year-olds appreciate hot water? Forget 12-year-olds. How many of us appreciate hot water? You took a shower the last time, you go, oh, yes, thank you for hot water. No, we didn't. We're, we, we just take things for granted. I say all that because we also take churches for granted. You may or may not know this, but I want to make sure you know it. Not all churches are like yours. That's incredible worship you just had. I go to churches all over North America. They're not all like that, Okay. They're just not. Your church is very missions-minded. You come here every Sunday and you hear a gospel message. Not every church is like that. Not every church is like that, and there are not churches like that everywhere. 85% of Southern Baptists are in the South. That's why at the North American Mission Board, we're partnering with churches like yours to plant churches in the Northeast, the Midwest, West, and Canada. Because there's so many... 85% of Southern Baptists are in the ACC and the SCC. It's the other conferences that we've got to work on. So I brought a few maps to show you, as Brother Steve just shared. Um, say in Denver, back in 2010, this is the church plants in Denver back in 2010. But because of your faithfulness and your generosity through your missions giving, this is what it looks like in 2020. You can look in 
a place like Seattle. In Seattle, there's, this is what it looked like in 2010, and you could real quickly look at what it looks like in 2020. Again, and then to give you the picture of really this, the same map that you mentioned that I shared at the SBC, I want to show from a, a satellite view, if you will, this is uh, where all the church plants in 2010, but because of the generosity of Southern Baptists and the focus on church planting, this is what it looks like now. At the current rate, at the current rate of planting churches, one-third of the SBC will have been planted since 2010. In 2030, one-third will. We desperately need to plant churches. Why? Because people desperately need Jesus as their Savior. And you see a, not a better picture of that than in Acts 13. Acts 13 is one of my favorite because it it's, talks about a church of Antioch seeing the importance of sending, sending their very best. I want to talk today about your missional step. It's missions, but you're in a very dangerous position being a member at Bellevue or attending Bellevue. You say, what do you mean by that? Because you're a part of a very missions-minded church, and you have a very missions-minded pastor, and therefore you can think you're very missions-minded. And often you're just around people who are, but you are not. So today, I, I, I don't want you to apply this to your church as much as I want it to apply to you. Because God placed you here for a purpose. He loved you so much, he sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross. You hear that every Sunday. Because he loves you. Today I want to talk about your next missional step. But the very first step is to trust Jesus in a personal way. And repent of your sins. And that's what Paul talks about on his missionary journey. Constantly repentance of sin. That's the very first step. But that's a launching point. That's not a stopping point. As we look at the church of Antioch, we see they understood that. So let's look at Acts 13, and we'll start with verse 1. It says, Now there were at Antioch in the church, uh, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, and it names several there. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them away. Help me if you would, those last few words. Can you do it? They what? Sent them away. They sent them off. They laid their hands on them, and they sent them off. To be on a missional journey, the first thing to understand is to be sent. Every one of us are sent. It may be next door, it may be at your office, at your school. As you read your New Testament, we talk about mission, mission trips, and you guys are going on a lot of mission trips overseas and in North America. But look, when you read your New Testament, every day of a believer's life is a mission trip. Every one of you have been called to be on Mission. That means to be intentional. What I love about this, the church at Antioch, they sent their very best, Barnabas and Paul. They got together, they prayed, laid their hands on them, and, and what they were saying to them is, look, as you go, we go. 
We're going to send our best. But as you go, we've got your back. We're going to pray for you. We're going to support you. We're going to be there for you. We believe in you. You go, but we have your back. Being sent to be a launching pad. So often churches look for ways to send people that are not their best. Often missions is a good excuse to get rid of people that you want to get rid of. What I appreciate about Antioch is they sent their best. Being sent. Our prayers, you understand today, every one of you, if you're a believer, you've been sent. But not only sent, you're to be obedient. Look what the next part of the verse says. Being obedient. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to sail. You see, they, from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they also had John as their helper. Important to remember that. But the most important part is they were being sent out by the Holy Spirit. They were anointed by the Holy Spirit, sent out by the Holy Spirit, sent by Antioch, but ultimately by the Holy Spirit. When you're sent out by the Holy Spirit, that means to be obedient. And obedience, I love it. In, the, in Acts, if you read through Acts, especially Acts 13 through 18, they're constantly going on these missionary journeys to do what? To plant churches. They're planting churches that plant churches that plant churches that plant churches. If you go back far enough, you, can, you could follow it that they planted churches that planted churches that planted churches that ultimately planted Bellevue. They planted churches. They went back and checked up on all the churches, but they, they had to make uh, adjustments. When you're led by the Holy Spirit, that means that you understand it's not of you, it's of him. You understand your complete dependence upon him. Every time you share your faith, it's your complete dependence upon him. We have to understand we're sent by the Holy Spirit, complete dependence and complete flexibility. Often we come up with a plan and feel like, hey, this is the plan. I don't know about your life, my life. I had a plan and I'm so thankful that God redirected me at times off of my plan and got me back onto his. Paul and Barnabas understood, look, we had a plan, we mapped it out, and we think we know how things are gonna go to the best of our ability, but we're gonna be open to calling an audible at any time. However the Lord leads and however the Holy Spirit leads, we're gonna be obedient. So being sent means being obedient. Third thing I want you to see, it means automatically you're gonna be challenged. Look, when you are in... To me, when you serve and you live in the center of God's will, it's not always rosy. It's not always easy. It's going to be challenging. And Paul and Barnabas could tell you that very fact. In this case, look what it says in this next verse. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, this man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elmas, the magician, for that's his name translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Man, I love this passage because it says real quickly, look, even when you're doing the right thing, there are people who are going to try to make crooked the straight path of faith. 
they made it very clear it was about repentance in Jesus. There's some people going to try to complicate it and make the path complicated and crooked. Thus, this is exactly what happened. What I want you to see about this passage is there was challenge. There was challenge from the outside and there was challenge from the inside. From the outside, you have here a governor who's actually interested in hearing more about what Paul and Barnabas are saying. It's like, I want to hear more about it. And his chief of staff, his pro-counsel, basically would say, look, look, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's think this through. This may not be good for poll numbers. Let's think through of the unintended consequences. And, and he did everything he could to distract the governor away from actually hearing the gospel. If you read on in that passage, you'll see that that uh, God ultimately saves that governor and, and penalizes the proconsul for doing that. That's from the outside. We just anticipate that, and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. As a church, as you seek to do all that God's called you to do, and as a Christian, as you seek to do all that God calls you to do, you're going to have attacks from the outside for doing the right thing. You just need to prepare yourself. That is a part of the plan here. That's just that's what happens. But we also need to prepare ourselves as sometimes there's issues on the inside. Something you may not have picked up there in Acts 13, it says that John Mark was with them, okay? For the sake of time, I'll not jump over in the passage later on in Acts 13, but it talks about John Mark on this first missionary journey. Um, John Mark is Barnabas' nephew, took him along as really as like your first summer missionary, if you will, as an intern, and he was on the, the trip, but... Midway through the trip, or really early on in the trip, he wanted to go home. John Mark went to Barnabas and said, Barnabas, this isn't like I thought. I, you know, the brochure seemed like it was a much easier. And you said we we're going to go to Cyprus. I like Cyprus, all right? Cyprus is like going to the Bahamas for Jesus, okay? And, and so that was an easy trip. The second spot was an easy one. But then it got hard. And if you read Acts 13, 14, 15, you'll see very, they were stoned, put in prison. I mean, all sorts of challenges. But early on, Barnabas was like, this is hard. I mean, Bar John Mark went to Barnabas and said, this is hard. Ultimately, he wanted to go home, and so they sent him home. That's no easy thing to do back then. It's not like to go to the, you know, the, the local airport and put him on a, a flight back. No, it's a lot of trouble. Paul doesn't say a lot about it here, but let me just tell you the rest of the story. It ticked him off. So much so that later on, when they were getting ready to go on a second missionary journey, Paul says to Barnabas, hey, let's go back and check up on the churches that we planted the first time. He says, super, I'll call John Mark and, and, and see if he wants to go. He goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Your nephew? He goes, yeah, you know, John Mark. He goes, no, 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 no. Look, he's not going, Barnabas. I love you. You know I love you. But you let you rule by your heart, not your head sometimes. And Barnabas, he's not going. And Barnabas says, well, basically, I don't know if you read the New Testament, but this is Paul and Barnabas. All right, I get a, I get a vote here. And we don't know exactly all they said. All we know is the Bible makes it very clear. There is a very sharp disagreement. So much so that Paul says, all right, fine, you go that way with, with John Mark, and I'll go this way with Silas. Come on, Silas, let's go. 
And that's where they split up. My point is this. Sometimes when you're doing exactly what God wants you to do, there's going to be attacks from the outside, but also there's going to be challenges sometimes from, from the inside. You, can you imagine that, that um, conversation that they had as they left? Paul, Silas, can you believe Barnabas? I mean, I love the guy, but boy, does he really, he just cuts my everlasting nerves sometimes. I mean, I know he's the encourager, but my word. So Paul being driven, frustrated. But I can only imagine, what I really like to hear is the conversation over here. Barnabas with his nephew, John Mark, who we know Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, put his arm around him and said, John Mark, listen, I love Paul, but he can be a little overbearing at times. Perhaps he doesn't have a lot of mercy. Who knows what he said? But I'm sure he put his arm around him because he's trying to comfort him. He's the encourager. And I'm sure he said something like, look, John Mark, we serve a God of a second chance. Serve a God of a third chance. You did mess up. That was no small mistake you made the first time. That's why I wanted to take you on the second one. And that's why we're gonna do our thing now. Because I believe in you. I believe God has something special he's gonna do through you. Who knows, Mark? Maybe one day you may even write a book. <laughs> I love guys like Barnabas mistakes I've made in the past. My point is this, there's gonna be challenges. We should never let challenges deter us from what God has called us to do. Being sent, being obedient, being challenged, but being faithful and focused to the finish. I love this because you see in verse 30, we have it, we'll put it up on the screen. In verse uh, 36, it says, And after some days, Paul and Barnabas said, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with him also, but Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along with the, uh, who had deserted him in Pamphylia and had gone with them to the work. Throw the very next verse up there if you would. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria, uh, Cilicia, strengthening the churches. My point is, look, where there was one mission team, now there's two. God can take the ugliest and make the most beautiful thing out of it. But saying faithful and focused to the finish, Paul went through a lot of hardships. And what you see in the last part of chapter 13 is he says, look, it's all about repentance of sin. He stayed faithful and focused on the message. I believe Satan's about distracting us and getting us focused on things that are not important. The reason I showed you those little dots a moment ago, those aren't just dots. There's a family there proclaiming the gospel, reaching people, connecting one-on-one -on -one with people, Planting churches that plant churches that plant churches that reach cities. And God has called us to make a difference, but we cannot do that if we stray from the message and it's about the repentance of sin. The journey gets long and it gets difficult. I'm not sure exactly where you are in your journey, but I want to encourage you to take that very next step. If you're a believer, it's important that you take that next step of believer's baptism. And what a beautiful thing we had pictured there today. 
and become a part of a Bible teaching church like this church and engage in ministry. But we're always about taking that next missional step of training you to lead somebody to Christ and then lead somebody to Christ to to understand that every day you're sent on that journey, it becomes difficult. I don't know about you, but the more I invest in people, the more difficult it is. It's two steps forward and three steps back often. Sometimes four steps forward. You you get the idea. It's just very difficult. It can wear on you. I just remind myself, I was reading through uh, 14, 15, and 16 of Acts today. All that Paul went through, challenge after challenge, ran out of different cities, stoned and and imprisoned, all the difficulties, even in the winds when the Philippian... Philippian jailer was, uh, came to know Christ just after that was one of Paul's darkest moments. And it's at the darkest moments of our life is when God shows up and reminds us of his faithfulness. Steve preached out of Isaiah last week and talked about the comforter. Now, he's such a comfort. And that's what we have to remember in this journey of, of missions, that why we do what we do and who we do this for and the strength of who we do it for. And that's why in Acts 18, verse nine and 10, at one of Paul's most challenging moments, the Lord comes to him in a dream and reminds him, again, good things have happened. It's not all been bad, but he's just exhausted. He's depleted, frustrated. And the Lord comes to him and says this, and it's a verse I had read sometimes every day for some months. And he says, and the Lord said to Paul in in the night by a vision, do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no man will attack you in order to harm you. For I have many people in this city. Now, if you just leave that up just for a minute. Let's break that down for a second. It says, first of all, do not be afraid any longer. Or basically, Paul, stop being afraid. You're afraid. Stop it. Don't be afraid anymore. There's no need for you to be afraid. Do not be afraid. I've got this. But not only say do not be afraid, he says, do not quit. Notice what he says in the next part. But go on speaking and do not be silent. You keep on doing what you've been doing. You keep on speaking and do not be silent. Do not shut up. You keep on doing it. You do not quit. So the two things he focuses on with Paul is do not be afraid and do not quit. Do not be afraid and do not quit. Regardless of how difficult it may be, do not be afraid and do not quit. You don't understand what I'm going through or the message I got from the the doctor or the relationship, I just come back and say exactly what the Lord said to Paul here. Do not be afraid. Stop being afraid and do not quit. What I love is the next part of this because without it, this would just be a spiritual pep rally where the Lord's saying, come on, Paul, don't be afraid. Don't quit. You can do it. But he tells us why We don't have to be afraid and why we should never quit. Look what it says. For, help me, I am with you. Let's do it again. 
for I am with you. Scripture said he's promised never to leave us and never forsake us. I don't understand why certain things happen. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I know one who does. And he said, stop being afraid. You do not quit. I got this. I am with you. Most comforting words, perhaps in the Bible, I am with you. I am with you. With me, I got your back. I need to admit something, all right? I know you folks are uh, big football fans in Tennessee. I hear that. Um, I'm from Kentucky. We're not, all right? Uh, Football is not a big deal in Kentucky. Matter of fact, if there's a tornado coming, we all run to the football field because there's very few touchdowns there. (laughs) So, (laughs) I know, I know, dad joke, dad joke. We're basketball people, okay? That's just who we are. I was, I, you know, we focus on basketball. Football's like the appetizer, but you're waiting for the main meal, all right? Now, I got married in December 28th, 1985, okay? Our first marital argument happened literally 37, 36 years ago in March of 1986. I know exactly when it happened. Exactly. Second round of the NCAA, what they call March Madness. (laughs) Still celebrate our argument today, March Madness. (laughs) She said, hey, let's talk about, and I don't even remember what she said she wanted to talk about. It was in the middle of the Kentucky game. And I said, can it wait until after the game? It couldn't. (laughs) I was foolish, stupid, and uh, said that. Well, and again, she was uh, a lot of grace, but she let me know that that was not helpful. Not only was that not helpful, but the way I watched games, evidently, was not (laughs) Christ-like. She had one sister, did not have brothers, and so the way we watch games is we, we feel like we're helping. I mean, when I'm watching a game, I'm all in, you know? I want to make sure the referees, I'm there to help them. If they make a mistake, I want to just remind them of how they can do better next time. And then because it's on TV, I need to be a little louder than normal, all right? And then, and then, and then and the coaches, I mean, they make a lot of money. They know what they're doing, but they need some help. These kids, they're just kids, but they need help. And so I would, and she'd say, you know, you, you, really lose control and just yelling at the TV and you're scaring the dog. <laughs> and I thought she was joking and, but I realized just after, you know how, just after a few days, I realized she's not joking. And so she would be here, if she were here today, she'd tell you in a very gracious way, she helped correct me and then I came up with a way to fix it. So I fix it and this is how I do it to this day. I tape the games. I don't watch them live. Don't. Kentucky won yesterday, didn't watch it live. I'm gonna watch it when I get home. I watch it live and you say, what do you do? Uh, You not watch it 
and then you make sure nobody tells you the score and you watch it later. No, that's not how I watch it. No, 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 not at all. You missed the whole point. I watch it. I find out if we won or not. And if we win, I watch it. <laughs> and if we lose, I delete it. You go home with me today, we can watch all the Kentucky basketball you want. And every one of them, we win. One of my favorite games is we played Michigan just a few years ago in the tournament. We were down by 10 points at halftime. Oh, the announcers were so negative on Twitter and everything else. Complaining about negative, negative. How we couldn't come back. And you wouldn't believe how negative, negative, negative they were. were I, was I concerned at all? No. Because I know we won. I'm fixing another peanut butter and jelly. Second half starts, 10 minutes to go in the game. We're down by eight. Woo. Six minutes to go. We're still behind. I'm not afraid. My heart's not beating fast. We get down to one minute. We're down by two and they have the ball. I'm watching the game with my wife petting my dog. Because I know what happens. 40 seconds to go, we steal the ball. We come down, we pass it around, two points behind. We're going to get a shot off? I bet we do. <laughs> they pass it around to a guy named Aaron Harrison. Three, two, one. He shoots it. Does it go in? It does every time. <laughs> and we win. My point is, I'm going to go home tonight, watch Kentucky in the Florida game. We won. I'm going to sweat it the entire time. I can deal with all of the difficulties and the challenges of the game knowing that at the end we win. You know, you don't know, I don't know what tomorrow holds. But that's why we can say, because he lives... I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all hope is not gone. Because we know the one who holds the future, and that's why he says what he says here to Paul. Paul, stop being afraid. And you do not quit. For I'm with you, and that's all that really matters. And look, no man's going to harm you. I've got this. Look, you're going to go through difficulties. It's going to be rough at times, but I promise you, never forget, never forget, I've got you. And then I love the last part of that verse when he says, for I have many people in this city. For I have many people in this city. I'll have one particular version that says, I have many people in this city that you know not of. He's telling Paul, look, I've got many people in this city. I'm going to use you to reach, and you don't even know their name. What I would say to you, and I mean this with all humility, I mean, you're Bellevue Baptist Church. But there are many people still in this city that you know not of, that he wants to use you to reach. 
And if any church has banners and trophies to look back on, it'd be you. I'm grateful for how you've continued on to be very missions-minded. But I just want to remind you, the very best is yet to come. Because there are many people in this city. There are many people in this country. There are many people in this world that do not know Jesus. I'm so thankful for a guy named Bill. I never met Bill. Bill came to our, our house to install a telephone years ago. And Bill took the time to tell my dad about Jesus. My dad accepted Christ and my mom accepted Christ. And when I was five standing up in a church pew, got to see them baptized because a guy named Bill doing what he was paid to do, install a phone, took time and understood that although he's a phone installer, he's on mission. I'm so thankful that he took time to tell my dad and my mom because all I know is at our house, everything changed. What we did on Friday night, how my mom and dad talked to each other, where we went on Sunday, everything changed. I thought it was because of Bill. I come to find out it was because of Jesus. I'm... My point is, I'm thankful for guys like Bill who had at least one person that they shared their faith with because I do have six kids. They've come to know Christ because my parents' influence, Bill's influence on them. I have grandkids. And for generations to come, never underestimate the power of one. We are on mission. Do not be afraid. Do not quit. Because he's with us. And there are many people in this city that need him.